You're listening to audio from Pillar Church of Jacksonville, where our goal is to know Jesus and to make him known. If you have questions or want to know more about us, and can text Pillar to 94000 or visit our website at pillarjacks.com. So, good morning again. I am back. Um, this morning I was asked to share my, my testimony. Um, so uh, to start, I will just say I, I really do not like to uh, share about myself, uh, especially my testimony. It's really hard for me to do. Um, my attention was recently drawn to a passage in Proverbs uh, 29, 11. It says, a fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. And I thought, yes, justification for the way my sinful nature already uh, seeks to be. Um, I don't have to have those emotional conversations with my wife. See, Proverbs says so. Um, I oftentimes find myself cheering for scripture when I read something that I really wanted to read anyway, um, as if I want scripture to conform to my personality and affirm uh, that my habits and intuitions are in fact correct and biblical. I have learned to proceed with caution when my inner applause track comes to life. Needless to say, in giving my testimony, I'll try not to simply vent my feelings, um, but to instead tell you where I was, uh, what happened in my life, and where I am now. So to the beginning. Shortly after being born, my family, uh, consisting of my mother, father, um, a, a brother, and a sister, one and two years older than me, uh, we moved to Lalongwe, Malawi. Uh, this is where my, my first memories reside as a missionary kid playing in the mud. Um, after about five years, we returned to the States because my parents uh, needed to come back home uh, to attend marriage counseling. Uh, we moved back to a small town in Missouri where my father pastored a local church, but shortly after, my parents ended up uh, getting divorced. You could say that this is uh, when it all kind of started for me. This is when my father left the home. Um, As hard as we might try, I believe it's impossible to hear the word Father, even in the context of our Heavenly Father, and not associate the construct and meaning of that word, at least somewhat, to the experiences that we have had with our own earthly fathers. And mine happened to be largely absent from my upbringing. So my siblings and I were raised from my mother. We attended a uh, Baptist church every Sunday morning and usually Wednesday nights. We ate a full sit-down breakfast as a family every morning before school, uh, not complete without a devotional reading. And the fact that God created the world and created the universe and has authority over everything in it um, and sent his son to die so that we might spend eternity in heaven with him is a concept that I understood. And having understood this concept and believed in it, I was baptized at a young age. I'm sure my my childhood was very similar to many others. I attended a public school, I played sports, we went on family vacations. Every few months or so, I'd spend a weekend with my dad. This is where things get a little difficult for me to keep straight. I know that I was saved, and outwardly I might have appeared as though I had my feet on a solid foundation, um, standing firm, but inwardly I was sliding down a steep hill, greased and oiled with lust and insecurity which came in a convenient package that I could hide away from everyone else in my life. I remember one moment vividly that kind of set the stage for my high school and early college years. I was sitting in the back seat of a car next to my brother. My dad was driving. I'm not sure if it was me or my brother who asked the question, uh, but it was asked, Dad, should you wait to have sex until you get married? Um, The response was, you should wait for your first marriage, but after that, it is okay. Um, So Aristotle asked a a question, does a fish know that it is wet? I think this question illuminates the impact of worldview. I was a Christian, but my worldview was not biblical. 
and my tree was not bearing any fruit. I was in bed with culture, and like the fish, I did not even know that I was wet. I think I was seeing, seeking manhood desperately, somebody to embody it in front of me, someone to clearly define it. Uh, the church is not where I found that definition, unfortunately. Though my mother tried her best, there was no father in my home, and thus I didn't find it there either. This search for manhood replaced any search for truth in Scripture or in a deepening relationship with God. Luke 6.40 says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. Unfortunately, I received my teaching, if you will, from the other 16, 17, 18-year-old boys that I spent all my time with. Um, the movies and the music that I listened to and watched. And what I found there was that there were really only two qualifications for being a man. A material success and sexual success. During these years, I, I slept around. I was addicted to pornography. I still attended church, and I still considered myself a Christian. After all, I did believe that God was God. Um, I continued in this fashion for several years, building up a haunting amount of memories and images that even after being faithfully married for four years still visit me. Another place I looked in my life to define manhood was in the military. I thought, now here is a place that can make men. I don't even have to do anything. It's a simple transaction. I join. There's a process you go through. And on the other end, um, you have this product, which is manhood, right? Um, so around this time, I, I met Megan. We attended a church together. We began to go to a community group that oftentimes she actually dragged me to um, that was led by one of the elders in the church. He began to disciple me. We met weekly and would sit across the table. Um, and he would explain things to me that I had never uh, quite heard before. He pointed me to scripture and applied it to my, li to my life in a way that I hadn't really been exposed to. I began to understand that believing in God alone, simply believing that God was God, made me no better than the demons. Uh, James 2.19 says, For even, even the demons believe and tremble. All of my half-hearted attempts to go through the motions of Christianity were exactly that, half-hearted. He challenged me to take, truly, every thought captive to the obedient of Christ. It's found in 2 Corinthians 10.5. Every thought. That meant what I listened to, what I watched, my understanding of everything that I had ceded to a secular worldview. And God began to show me through his word, through his Holy Spirit, and through faithful discipleship from a godly man that I needed to take all of these thoughts captive to the obedience of him. As a young man, I always had a picture of what I would be like as an older man. I knew I would one day be a husband. Um, I knew I would one day be a man who studied the word diligently. And I knew I would have children, great marriage. Um, and I knew that I would not be addicted to pornography, not always, um, and that I would be wise. And I also thought that that day would come later, as if one day I would wake up and be the man that I always wanted to be. We all know that this is completely illogical. Uh, we don't show up to war having not trained and expect to be lethal or tactically proficient. All of us in the military, all we do is prepare. Uh, but I had not applied this to my life. I was not preparing to be a husband. I was not preparing to be a father. I was not preparing to receive God's wisdom. I was on a trajectory leading to the all-too-common and ever-deadly nominalism. In all of this that has happened in my life, my brother is uh, now an atheist and my sister is now a Mormon. Um, only God saves but the impact of fatherlessness is far-reaching. I cannot tell you the exact time that the sun rose this morning. Um, I know around about when it happened. I know that at 6 a.m. Uh, it was dark. 
and I know that it is now light. And I know that sometime in between, light crested the horizon. Similarly, I know that I was living a life distant from God, and I know that now I am walking faithfully in his word. There was not a single day or moment that I experienced a sudden change, but the sun has risen in my life. God gives me all my definitions. He defines what a man is, and the world does not. Until sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. I recognize the total depravity in my life, and God's grace is all the more sweet in me for it. I am thankful for the grace of God and the mercy of God, giving me salvation, of which I do not deserve, and withholding from me the damnation which I do deserve. God has blessed us to be in a church led by godly elders, and one that leads its members to come together in homes to study the word. It was in a church just like this one that I was discipled. God has blessed me with a beautiful wife and two beautiful daughters, and we are assiduously seeking after him and experiencing the freedom that comes with being rightly a slave to Christ. We are excitingly sharpening the arrows that God has entrusted us with, and we will one day fire them into the heart of the enemy. Praise God, and thank you for listening. All right, praise the Lord for new birth and a new creation found in Josiah. Josiah, thank you so much for sharing with us, brother. Uh, my name is J.D., I'm one of the pastors here. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of John. Uh, if you do not have a Bible uh, of your own this morning, uh, there should be a Bible up underneath your seat. Please feel free to grab one of those. If you do not have a Bible of your own, you can take that with you as a gift uh, from us, the church, to you. Uh, we'll be on page 834 in the provided Bibles, but John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Today we're going to be looking at life change. How does life change happen? How can these things be? Benjamin Franklin, who was a a great statesman as well as inventor, received letters from famous people all over the world due to his growing popularity and his famous inventions. One day he received what could well have been the most important letter ever to come to his desk. It was from the well-known British preacher George Whitefield. And he says this, I find that you grow more and more famous in the learned world, Whitefield wrote. As you have made such progress in investigating the mysteries of electricity, I now humbly urge you to give diligent heed to the mystery of the new birth. It is a most important and interesting study, and when mastered will richly repay you for your pains. George Whitefield's plea to Ben Franklin is a good reminder for us as we toil and strive and seek to gain much worldly success. We can all say that Benjamin Franklin was highly successful. But he urges and pleads with him to stop and consider what new life in Christ was and is. And so for us this morning, we are going to be looking at what it looks like to be born again, to look at new life in Christ. Christ. But let's look back for a moment uh, from last week and kind of see where we are today because last week's story helps us to to fall into this week's story. 
So last week we see Jesus come into the temple and he cleanses out the temple of the, of the money changers and those who are selling oxen and sheep for profit because his house, his temple house, his house was a house of prayer. And his zeal for his house would consume me. And so the, the Jewish leaders come to him and say, hey, what sign of, or, or why are you doing this? What sign is it that you have for doing these things? So Jesus calls them out for seeking a sign, but gives them a sign anyway of his death, burial, and resurrection. And then we get to verse 23 in chapter 2, and it says this, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them. Because he knew all people. He needed no one to bear witness about man. For he himself knew what was in man. So they believed in the signs, but not the person and work of Jesus. They believed in what Jesus was doing. The miracle healings, the things that he was accomplishing. But Jesus did not believe in them. Because as Josiah said, even the demons believe and they shudder. But it's not life-transforming belief. Belief in the true and resurrected Christ is a life-transforming, is a regeneration, a new birth. It means you are born again. You are moved from death to life. You are transformed by the good news of the gospel. That's what changes us. That's what transforms us. That's what happened to Josiah. Is what happens to everyone in here who calls themselves Christians that you would have experienced this. So John writes that you would believe. You would believe that Jesus is the Christ and that in Him you would have life. That you would have life. Eternal, true life. So let's look in John 3 and see what we can glean from this this morning. So there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that, that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Do not marvel that I have said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe in, if I tell you heavenly things? See, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. 
And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. You see, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. So whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. We pray for us. Heavenly Father, this is your word. Help us to understand it. Help us to be enlightened by it, and that your spirit would illuminate our hearts and our minds and our ears to receive what it is that you have to say to us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How can these things be? How can these things be? That's the question for us this morning, the overarching question. How can these things be, Jesus? Help me to understand. So I have three things for us this morning, and they're all found through the cross. Through the cross of Christ, we see three things. Grace, love, and justice. Through the cross, these things can be seen. Through grace, love, and justice. Grace, love, and justice. So there was a man of the Pharisees, his name was Nicodemus. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. He says, look, Jesus, I know who you are. Like, I, I, I know, I think I know who you are. You, you're somebody that's come from God. It's, it's evident by the signs that you're doing that you have come from God. And I, I know that you're, you're doing something amazing, but we have to understand that the framework for what, for what Nicodemus is coming to God with. You see, Pharisees, by their nature... Had a, had a right view of many doctrines. They, they understood what God's Word would say. They were morally accountable. They believed in immortality. The resurrection of the body, and, and uh, they believed in that. They, produ- they, they understood that, uh, that, that religion produced men who were exemplary in matters of the law. You see, there was one problem with Pharisees. They were religious in their outward expressions, but yet lacked an inward heart change. All of their outward works looked amazing. When they, when they came by, people were in awe of how religious they were and how they lived their lives. That's why Jesus spent so much time trying to reveal the actual wickedness that was in their hearts and in it turns out as well when we read the Scriptures that they would, they would not want to change their lives in the matter of their heart, but still wanted to live with this outward expression of the law. 
Pharisees' man-made laws were so bad that if a hen laid an egg on the Sabbath, the egg could be eaten as long as the owners intended to kill the chicken for working on the Sabbath. So they had to, if the, egg laid it, if the chicken laid an egg on the Sabbath, they would have to kill the chicken. Why? Because the chicken was working on the Sabbath. However, if, they, if, they, if, the, if the hen laid an egg and they weren't intending to kill the chicken, then they couldn't eat the egg. Because then they would be living not according to the law. This man-made law, not, not Jewish law, not law that we see in the Scriptures, but this man-made law. So this is the framework in which Nicodemus is coming to Jesus. This works-based theology of how I must live upright, how I must look outwardly. And so when he comes to Jesus, he doesn't even ask a question to Jesus. But yet, Jesus gives him an answer. He says, verse 2, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. There's no question there. Look how Jesus responded. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus knows Nicodemus. If you remember our sermon title from last week, is that Jesus knows you. He knows your heart. He knows your intentions. He knows every hair on your head. He knows who you are. You can't fool Jesus. But yet we do this all the time. And so this outward expression from Nicodemus would have been something that he would have been like, look God, look how holy and righteous I am. But Jesus says, look, unless one one is born again, unless one is born of the Spirit, unless one's uh, one whose heart has been regenerated by the truth of the Gospel, unless someone has suffered a a new birth, a, a new creation, which is what it means to be born again, unless you realize the depth of your sin is a heart problem and not an outward expression? You can't be saved. You can't see the kingdom of God. This, this would have been inspired. I mean, this would have been for Nicodemus just like, what are you talking about? How can, how can I not see the kingdom of God? Look how pious I am. Look how upright I'm living. And God says, no, I, I know your heart. And your heart needs to be born again. Your heart needs to change. Nicodemus frames this question that he asked later on in verse 9. It's kind of the same question. How can these things be? How, how can a man be born when he is old? How many of you in here are kind of snarky with, with the answers? If you, if you love... Hey, thank you. I've oh, got, some, got some volunteers. If you're snarky, you love this response by Nicodemus. Because you, you get a sense of snarkiness here, right? You get this sense of, how can I be born when I'm old? Can I, can I enter a second time into my mother's womb and be born again? Jesus doesn't even acknowledge his question, but just answers. Look, I'm telling you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, 
He cannot. Again, he doubles down. He cannot see the kingdom of God. No matter how amazing your outward expressions are, if your heart is not changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. No matter how hard you try, no matter how much effort you give to get there, you can't do it. God must wrought a right spirit, a new heart. As the preceding verses of what we read in Ezekiel 37 says this, I will take you from the nations and I will gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. And I will sprinkle clean water on you. This is what he means when he says, you cannot see unless one is born of water and spirit. I will sprinkle uh, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be, clean, uh, shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and I will put it within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will take your heart of stone and I will give you a new heart based on, based on the sprinkling of water, of clean water where you shall be cleansed from your unrighteousness and from the new spirit that I will put within you. This should not have been foreign to Nicodemus. He was a teacher and a, 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 of the law. He knew the law up and down. Yet, here he is. How can this be? I don't understand. That which is born, verse 6, of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Nicodemus, don't marvel at these things. Don't marvel that I said you must have a new heart. You must be born again. Because the wind blows where it wishes. You hear it sound, you, you hear wind, you can feel wind, but you can't see wind. You can see the trees moving in the wind, you can see things bent over by the wind. We live in a place where hurricanes come through and you can see the wind do all sorts of crazy things, but you can't, uh, but you can't see the actual wind. And so Jesus used this illustration, you hear it sound, you, it blows where it wishes, you don't know where it comes from. You don't even know where it's going. Sometimes it blows out of the northwest. Sometimes it blows out of the northeast, from the south and from the north. You don't know where it blows. The same is true of the Spirit. Everyone who is born of the Spirit. There is a change. There is a transformation. It is God who wrought in you a new heart that brings transformation. It is the work of the Spirit that changes you. It is the work of the Spirit that transforms you from death to life. It is the Spirit that gives you eyes from, from going from blindness to eyes that can see. But don't marvel at these things. This is the Word of God. This is how God works. He puts in us a new heart. He gives us a new spirit. He changes our trajectory. 
from living a life full of selfish ambition. A life full of piousness to a life that is conforming over and over and over again to His image. Don't marvel at these things. This is the way that God does things. the way He transforms us by His Spirit that lives inside of us. And here's what I have to say to you. If, if God has, if you don't feel, if you have not seen a transformation in your life, and you call yourself Christian, I would just ask you to examine your heart. Am I trying to live out an outward expression, but yet have no inward change? No heart change at all. But yet I'm trying to conform to the image of Christ by an outward expression. This was Nicodemus. This is what he was doing. Nicodemus says to him, How can these things be? I don't understand. How can, the, how can the Spirit go where He does and how can, it, how can this be? There's been many times where I've been like this. How can this be? Jesus said, you teacher of the law? You know the Word, yet you don't understand these things? You see, I say to you, we speak of what we know. We bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. You can't receive it because the Spirit is not at work in you. Your heart is hardened to the things that I'm trying to teach you. Forget about the signs. Forget about all the things that I'm doing. What about heart change? What about an inward change to be born again to the likeness of Christ? A heart that has been transformed by the goodness of the gospel by believing and receiving the word. See, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can I even believe to tell you of heavenly things? Heavenly things like that, that no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, which is me. The one standing before you now in this world is the Messiah, the longed for, promised Messiah. And then we see grace extended. Verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. This is taken from Numbers 21, 4-9. I'll read it for you because it gives us such a, a, an amazing example and glimpse of what the cross represents. And Jesus uses this. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way up to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses, Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Well, there is no food, there is no water, we, we loathe this worthless food. And the Lord, through judgment, sent fiery serpents among the people. They bit the people so that many died. The people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. We have spoken against the Lord and against you. 
Moses, would you pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us? Take this thing away. And this was true of the Israelites all the time. Their, their hearts would go, they would complain, and they would, they, would, they would, through selfish nature, they would go, God, what are you doing to us? And then God would bring about judgment, and they would go, no, 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 God. No, we didn't mean what we said. Would you please forgive us and take away this iniquity? If you don't re- believe me, just read the book of Judges. Over and over and over again, the people follow their own selfish trajectory. They follow their own sin. And over and over again, they cry out to God and say, forgive us, please bring about a Savior. And they do it again here with Moses. The Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, and he set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. This is a story that Jesus proclaims to Nicodemus. One in which Nicodemus would have understood perfectly. One that he would have known well knowing the Scriptures as a leader and a teacher of the Jewish law. Jesus reveals to Nicodemus and to us here this morning that it is a foreshadowing of the cross. It is a foreshadowing that if we look to it for salvation, we will have life. And no matter how, no matter how entrenched in sin is, we are. And if the Spirit moves and that we believe in the Lord Jesus and what He has done on the cross, that we would have life. So the Son of Man must be lifted up. He must endure a cross. That whoever believes in Him, whoever believes in that cross, whoever believes that Jesus is the Messiah, the One who would come and take away the sins of the world, the Lamb of God, the Son of Man, the Son of God, all these things, that He would be the One that would take away the sins of the world. So we must look to the cross to be saved, to, to have life. And this is grace. This is grace extended to us through the cross of Jesus Christ. This would have been a foreshadowing of, of, a, of a beautiful picture of Jesus, the Son of Man, would be lifted up. And that whoever believes in Him would have eternal life. Do you believe this gospel? You hear this morning trying to live out an outward appearance that everything is good. Everything's just fine. You were probably greeted when you came in this morning. And I imagine, how are you doing? And I can imagine what you said in return. Fine. Everything's fine. My house is on fire back home. My heart is entrenched in sin. Everything's fine. It's great. Because we don't see the cross. We don't bow at the foot of the cross. See the beauty of its forgiveness offered to us if we believe. So how can these things be through grace? He's just laid out a picture to Nicodemus of grace. Grace upon grace. Grace and truth that we would believe and receive it and be transformed by it. 
This is the cross. We get to where the cross extends to us a measure of love. The cross is where grace, love, and justice meet. So, whenever we read this passage like this, everybody wants to focus on John 3.16, right? I mean, even atheists know John 3.16, right? It's on the placards at all the games. I mean, everybody's familiar at some way, shape, or form with John 3.16. It's the preceding verses that we should really fall in love with. That's the cross that extends to us grace upon grace and love and justice all meet. How does this love extend to us? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Gave what? Gave His life. He would give His life for yours. For all those who would believe. It's the Gospel. That whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. A life that is Full in Him. In Christ Jesus. That's the promise for us. That we just believe we would have life. You believe the goodness of the gospel. Has it so entrenched in you that it, it drives you towards grace. It drives you towards the love of God. It drives you even towards justice. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. That whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. This is the the idea of redemption. God is redeeming man back to Himself. That God would not come to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved, that you would believe. You would change and be transformed by the good news of the gospel. This is love. Love is a story of redemption, not condemnation. That is love for us that Christ would take away the sins of the world by going and dying a death that we deserve. That is love. That is love that is extended to us for those who believe and rest in Christ. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. This means that Christ has atoned for your sin. That by believing in the resurrection of Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, you are not condemned. That Christ has atoned for your sin. That He is the Savior. He is the Messiah. But this next section should concern us. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Have you believed? Have you placed your faith and trust? I don't just mean like, I don't mean just praying a sinner's prayer. I mean, have you really had a heart transformation? A heart change, a new birth, a born again time where you can say this was the trajectory I was on Christ came into my life and now I'm on a different trajectory for some of us that is instantaneous 
We know exactly when that moment happened. And our lives were changed forever by the good news of the gospel. But for others, like Josiah's and mine, our testimonies are it happened over time. I can't tell you a certain time when it happened. Man, over time, God began to transform my life. I had to believe the gospel. The Spirit had to move in my heart and my life. We must realize that we were dead. Dead in our trespasses and sin. We were dead in the uncircumcision of our flesh. So we were dead in our trespasses. We were dead in our flesh. But God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with His legal demands, this He set aside, nailing it to the cross. You see, your debt for your sin was paid by a holy and righteous judge who came into the world and died a death that you deserve on a cross. So we must rest in this. That the cross was a sign of God's love that, re- that canceled the record of debt that stood against its legal demands of God. So we see grace, we see love, and we see justice. We see the justice of the cross. This, verse 19, is the judgment. The light being Jesus has come into the world. But people, people loved their sin. We love our sin. Man, for us, we just, we just love our sin. We love it more than the light because our hearts are inwardly evil. We're bent towards destruction. We don't want to bring our our sins into the light. Unless the Spirit moves, we never will. Unless the Spirit convicts us of our sin, we are content to live in darkness. Giving our hearts over to our sin over and over and over again. You see, for everyone who does wicked things, they hate the light. The light exposes my sin. It draws out the sin that is so deep inside of me. We hate it. Because our works will be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light. So that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out. See, God is perfect in every way. He is perfect in every way. Man is sinful in every way. You see, God cannot allow sin in His presence because He is holy and we are not. And therefore, He must exercise His justice with the penalty of death 
and the penalty of eternal, eternal separation from Him. He must exercise His justice. But His justice for the believer, His justice for the believer is that He would nail your sin to Jesus on the cross. That He would take away your sin if you place your faith and trust in Him. My encouragement to you is that you would come into the light. He would see your sin as an affront to God. And that you would start breaking down and tearing down the idolatry that is just living inside of you. That you would receive the good news of the gospel that Jesus takes away the sin of the way to take away your sin and my sin. He has nailed it to the cross. Would you walk into the light? Would you, would you, would you walk out and expose your sin for what it is? Trust in Him. I want to show a short video. It's only a minute and 18 seconds. The video is of Yoman, Sumariah. I've had the privilege of going to, to, to um, Bali, Indonesia, probably three or four different times. And at least three, I think four. This guy is doing some amazing gospel work in a country that wants nothing to do with the gospel. Nothing. You want to see in this video a family who believes the gospel. And what they do in walking in the light is transforming. It's changed lives. So I'm going to let you watch it. You're not going to be able to read the words probably because our projector is not the best. If you really want to read the words, you can turn around and watch it on the screen behind you on the TV. This is an older couple, an older family that Yoman has evangelized and shared the gospel with. And you'll see the transformation. This is what it means to walk in the light. Those people are tearing down an idol. There's, there's an idol almost at every home. This temple worship of idolatry. These people come to faith in Christ. They tear down the center of worship. They tear down the idols as they walk into the light. As they walk in the truths of the gospel. Here's what you don't get in that. These people, the house that they live in that they just tore down, they're likely going to get kicked out of their village. They're likely going to have to go live with Yoan. There's a possibility that they could be killed for this. This has a greater weight than what we could ever imagine. This is what it means to be transformed by the gospel. To root out the idolatry and the sin that is in it. Over and over and over again, it's happening. It's happening here. It's happening in Bali, Indonesia. It's happening because of the grace, the love, and the justice of Christ. Pray that you would be transformed by the goodness of the gospel. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the goodness of the gospel. It transforms us that we 
are born again by your Spirit. Lord, I pray. I pray that you would, for those who are in the light, Lord, that there is sin that is just kind of sitting there in the root of our hearts, Lord, that you would root it out. That we take this time right now to confess that we would not be scared of the light, that we would not want our sin to be hidden in the darkness, that right now we would confess our sin and we would repent and turn away from it. That you would continue over and over again to, to renew our hearts towards the gospel. Or for those who may be here who have not trusted in you, who have not believed the gospel, who have not received it, who have not been transformed by it, Lord, would your spirit move in them? Would your spirit work to expose their blind eyes, their deafened ears, their heart of stone, as Ezekiel said? Would you put in them a new heart? Change them. Ask them to pray right now, Lord. Would you prompt them to pray towards you? That you they would ask for forgiveness of their sin. That they would believe in the good news of the gospel. That they would start tearing down idols that are so deeply rooted in their lives and show the world what it means to come into the light. Help us in this, Lord. In Jesus' name we humbly pray. Amen. We're going to take a time as we do.